Good morning, church. John has introduced our speaker and I don't see him. <laughs> and I'm prepared to preach. Would y'all mind? Uh, I mean, if he shows up, we'll have him preach. But uh, wow, my goodness. Uh, I, I'd love for you to, to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. And while you're finding it, I just want to begin to just to, by thanking you for, um, well, for everything, but uh, for last night especially. Uh, as, as I think about last night, it was just so typically and beautifully VRBC. It was VRBC on display. Uh, it was your wonderful uh, creative hospitality. Uh, it was your incredibly kind words. Uh, it was your hugs and your cards and your laughter and your tributes and your gifts and... Um, uh, boy, I hate to even single anything out, but um, just knowing, you know, I've spent a lot of my life in, uh, uh, in higher education and pursuing degrees and not always having the funds to pay for it and to know what a difference uh, the generosity of my parents, but also what a difference the scholarships have made in my education. And now to think, because of your generosity, Jalita's name and my name uh, is going to be on a scholarship that as I have given thanks to God on so many different occasions that other students will be giving thanks to God and, and it's gonna be at the seminary where I'll serve. That's just amazing. So I could not be more thankful um, or grateful as I close out my official ministry at VRBC. And if it wouldn't look so silly, I would give you a standing ovation, but uh, I've embarrassed my kids so much the last 24 years and I don't wanna do that today. Well. On this day, as we celebrate Senior Sunday, uh, it's a day uh, for looking back and giving thanks. It's also a day for looking forward in hope and in prayer. And that's why I wanted us to turn to the end of Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. A little bit of background if you never read it or haven't read it in a while. Uh, Paul's on his second missionary journey. Uh, he and close friends of his, Silas and Timothy and Luke, have sailed across the Aegean Sea and they've landed in Europe for the first time and Paul does what he always does. He tells people about Jesus, he, he plants churches, uh, he makes people mad and, uh, and he goes to new places and so he starts in Philippi and then he moves southwest toward what was and still is uh, one of the most important cities in Greece. It's called Thessaloniki today. It was then called Thessalonica. And uh, he did, as was his custom, he went to that, um, in, in Thessalonica to this small synagogue. They only had a few uh, Jews in Thessalonica at that time. And they had formed a tiny synagogue and Paul went there. And on three consecutive weekends, you might say, three consecutive Sabbaths, Paul preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, he basically says, you know that the Hebrew scriptures you've revered all your lives, they point to Jesus of Nazareth, crucified and resurrected. And as often happened when Paul preached, some folks were wildly enthusiastic and some folks were deeply opposed. And, uh, and so when Paul spoke uh, in Thessalonica, many of the listeners became Christians and started a new church, both Jews and Gentiles converted to Jesus. And then others started a riot and, uh, and caused Paul to have to be smuggled out of town and smuggled away from these new believers. But get this, even when Paul was physically distant 
from these people that he loved so dearly, his love for them and his prayer for them continued. Now the church in Thessalonians, Thessalonica, they were not a perfect church by any means, but what church is? I mean, Paul had to teach and correct them in matters of sexual purity and their work ethic, the ways in which they were preparing or not preparing for the Lord to come, conflict that was in the church. But still, Paul had such an affection for that church. He was so grateful for them. Uh, he, He calls out by name their deep faith and their deep love for one another in chapter one. And so Paul writes what may be the earliest of the New Testament letters, 1 Thessalonians, and it is the closing words of that letter that draw my attention today. Because today, after all, is a day for closing words. And so would you listen as I read the last six verses of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 28. Hear the word of the Lord. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May God bless the reading of this word. Usually, for most of my two plus decades, I've preached in sermon series. Hope that's been okay. Uh, But uh, occasionally there have been standalone sermons, and this is one of those, and I've titled it The Driveway Moment, and let me see if I can explain why. I don't think it works this way for everybody necessarily, but for many of us, there was a moment when we left home. Maybe we were 17 or 18, maybe we were 19 or 20 or 21. Perhaps we were going off to college, maybe we were joining the military, maybe we were going off to do a new job or going to a trade school, maybe it was a a gap year or some other kind of adventure, but we left. We pulled out of the driveway of our home, or today, as so often happens, uh, parents drop their kids off and then pull out of the driveway of of a dormitory, say. When I look back on my first driveway moment, I was 19. I'd spent a year in the junior college in my hometown, and now I was heading off to Waco, Texas, Baylor University in the fall of 1981. And as I was preparing to leave, I could not figure out for the life of me why everybody was so sad. I was elated. I was going off to college. I was a man, y'all. Freedom, you know? I told myself I was gonna stay up all night that first night. I made it to about 1 a.m. Now my mom and I, in the days leading up to it, had spent quite a few days uh, buying new things to get me outfitted and packed and ready to go. I had new clothes, of course. I had cookware, had a whole lot of groceries. Uh, I had some, some home-cooked meals in an ice chest and I had cookies in a Tupperware container that I had to swear I would bring back home. My dad had rented a small trailer and hooked it up to the bumper of his car. And when it was finally time, 
when everything had been packed up, we all made our way out to the driveway. This is a, a Google screen grab of what that particular driveway looks like today. Used to be palm trees here and that tree wasn't there. But, uh, but that's a, a pretty good look at that driveway. My mom, as we made our way out to the driveway, alternated between tearful expressions of love and fierce instructions. I was to call and to call regularly, but not to call when long distance was at its highest. I was to uh, make sure I put the pasta sauce in the freezer as soon as we arrived in Waco. I was to take care of myself. I was to be careful. I was to drive safely. Most importantly, I was to remember how deeply my parents loved me. Honestly, back then when I was 19, I wondered if she would ever stop talking. <laughs> At my age now, I marvel that she found the strength to let me climb into that car and pull out of the driveway and head 300 miles north. You know, my parents and I had logged so many conversations the first 19 years of my life, and we would log so many more but this was a, a particular kind of conversation. This was a driveway moment. This was a significant change in the nature of our relationship. We didn't stop loving each other, far from it. But our relationship was necessarily changing and it had to change for us to grow and fulfill what God had planned for us in our new chapters. Now, of course, through the years, I've had to endure driveway moments with my kids. And uh, not only that, as I look at this day, May 21st, 2023, it feels like a driveway moment. For many of these high school seniors, uh, this season represents a fundamental change in their relationship with us. And they need to know that we believe in them and we believe they're ready for this new adventure. And they don't want us to cling uh, they want us to trust, and they want us to send them forward with our blessing. And I guess for Jolita and me, this is a, a driveway moment too, although I have to tell you, I have not been able to figure out in this driveway moment whether I'm the dad or whether I'm the kid. I don't know. I really don't know. Um, I'll tell you this, when we finally do make our way to Waco, we were going to have so much more stuff than I had in that little trailer uh, that fit behind my dad's car. And so I kind of feel like in different ways, this is a driveway moment for all of us. And maybe that's why I was particularly drawn to that passage I read to you a moment ago. Because it's so often in the closing words of a conversation or a letter that we combine the most urgent and the most important things that we want to say to one another. Sometimes they're personal, sometimes they're practical. Sometimes they're both. And I wonder if the Apostle Paul today in 1 Thessalonians can be almost a, a ghostwriter for us as we speak to one another and pray for one another. I wonder if his, his words can kind of guide our prayer and guide our emotions and guide our words. So what is it that Paul says in this driveway section of 1 Thessalonians right before the letter closes? How does Paul channel love and affection toward his friends? After all, Paul had an unusually close relationship. Uh, you know, don't take my word for it. You, you read chapter two for yourself. 
In chapter two, Paul actually describes himself as a nursing mother. He says, those are the words he uses, a nursing mother. He says, I was delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. That's what my companions and I, we've given you ourselves as well as the gospel. And then a few verses later, he calls himself a father. He says, we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. Paul says, I've been mother and father to you, church. His his words have that deep parental love of Christ undergirding them. So what does Paul say in the driveway? Well, the first thing he tells them is to go with God's peace. As the car is settling into reverse, the, the, the windows roll down, what we wanna hear is we wanna hear people say, go with God's peace. What we wanna say to those we love is go with God's peace. Isn't that the sentiment behind verse 23? May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is essentially praying that God himself, the God of peace, would watch over the Thessalonians. When the Bible uses the word peace, it it uses this word that, that is, as one commentator puts it, spiritual prosperity in its widest sense. Peace, as another commentator says, is a summary of Jesus Christ and all the blessings he has for us. And it is that peace that protects us on the journey. It is that peace that, that sanctifies us, that makes us holy, that prepares us for the next adventures and the ultimate adventure of arriving on heaven's shore. And Paul prays for every part of the Thessalonians, not just the souls, did you notice that? but also he prays for their bodies and spirits as well. He prays for their personal and physicality. He prays for their totality. He prays that as they go on their journey, God's peace would go with them. Now, we know that when it comes to our spiritual journey, it's not all passive, right? We we have a part to play in that as well. You and I can't just wait for holiness to happen to us. We also pursue sanctification, we also pursue holiness. I have this vague memory uh, of being a college student and reading in some article about the subliminal power of learning while you sleep. And, uh, and so I had a, a cassette recorder and I recorded all this stuff I needed to know for a test and then I pressed play and took a nap and uh, it did not work, uh, <laughs> it did not work. And you know, holiness does not work like that either. Uh, it's, it's, it's not something that happens to us passively while we sleep. Uh, there's a key part for you and me to play when it comes to holiness. The, the Ten Commandments talk about that. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount talks about that. Paul's letters talk about that. Jesus' a fundamental call when he says that we are to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. We have a responsibility, but ultimately, ultimately, Paul says, Our safe arrival on a distant, eternal shore is not something we're in charge of. It's something that God is in charge of. And Paul wants us to know in verse 24 that God will do it. That God is faithful. That God can be trusted. God will do what he has said he will do. 
So what I think this means for us as, as parents, maybe standing in, alone in the driveway uh, after the car makes its way down the street, is that we have to learn, parents, that God is waiting up for our kids when we can no longer wait up for them. We pray for them. We pray that they would be wise, that they would seek God. We pray for God's peace to protect them. We tell them, go with God's peace in the driveway. But there's something else we say to one another in the driveway, something urgent, something practical. Not just to go with God's peace, but also to stick with God's people. Caleb, I felt like we were like, just reading off the same page uh, when I heard you a moment ago. We did not collude, uh, but it's like the spirit is harmonizing what we're saying. And so if you didn't get it the first time, uh, I hope you'll get it the second time. Uh, when, when Paul has this driveway moment in verses 25 and 26, he offers two very specific requests. The first one's gonna sound familiar, the second one not as familiar, uh, and maybe piqued your interest, but let's look at both of them in verse 25 and 26. Brothers and sisters, here's the familiar one, pray for us. And then the second one is greet all God's people with a holy kiss, somewhat less familiar, uh, isn't it? Now why do I summarize these two verses with the, with the heading, stick with God's people? I think it's because Paul is showing us, first of all, God's desire for us to stick together. God wants us to be drawn together by mutual prayer and by mutual affection, mutual fellowship. If you've ever taken an individual uh, charcoal from a, from a fire and taken it with tongs and set it aside, you know that it goes from from pink to white very quickly, right? And it, it very quickly cools off. But if it stays with the other glowing coals, there's a, a pink fire that will endure for some time. And the same thing is true for us. Put us you know, set us apart uh, from, the, from the body of Christ and our souls will grow cool very quickly. But put us together and the fire of the Spirit, the mutual fire of the Holy Spirit will keep us burning hot. And so how do we do that? How do we stick together? Well, first, Paul says we pray for one another. Paul was very in touch with his human weakness and vulnerability. He was not too proud to beg for that church's continual prayer because Paul knew that prayer and power go together. And VRBC, I want you to know I'm gonna count it a privilege to continue to pray for you individually and corporately as a church in the coming months and years. And if I might be a bit needy and greedy, uh, I would be grateful for your continued prayers as well. One of the great privileges of my last two plus decades is how many of you regularly tell me that you have prayed for me by name. And you know, as I, as I envision my new role, my business card will say professor, but I think kind of scratch me and underneath, I'm, I'm still a pastor. And I feel like my calling in this new chapter of my life will be to pastor future pastors. And, uh, and I am just gonna need your prayer to do that well. I happen to believe that the call to pastoral ministry is noble and beautiful. And I just covet your prayers as I have a chance to help train and inspire a significant number of future pastors in the coming year. Prayer. Prayer does that. Prayer sticks us together. Stick with God's people, Paul says. 
It makes me think of something that we used to do as kids back in the dark ages that I hope kids don't do anymore, but we would like take a pocket knife and we would kind of prick our index fingers and, and then we would mingle the blood and we would say that we were, we were blood brothers, right? We're, we're blood siblings. Prayer is a so much more powerful way of mingling our souls together under the, the, the blood of Jesus Christ and being blood siblings. Prayer sticks us together. But so does fellowship. So does mutual affection. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if in verse 26 that phrase, holy kiss, got your attention. In so many cultures in our day, as well as in the, uh, the Apostle Paul's day, a kiss was not primarily romantic. It was a sign of friendship. It was a sign of affection. Uh, and, and for some of us, the cultures that we're a part of, that is still true today. And, and maybe for others of us, uh, uh, maybe a, a warm handshake or hug kind of gives the same effect. But here is, I think, the clear meaning. And that is that God's people stay connected through warm loving Christian fellowship. And of course, our fellowship uh, is a very uh, particular kind of fellowship because we are gathered around the presence of Christ. We are gathered around the word of God. Paul's very clear in verse 27. He wants this letter read to the congregation. We don't know if Paul knew at that point that his letter would actually become scripture but he did want that church gathered around the truth of God and the preaching of God. And it just reminds us that we're never a, a social club. We're, we're a particular kind of fellowship. Uh, we are financed by the grace of Jesus and we're built upon the word of God. And, uh, and so we stick with God's people. And so as you, as you hear this word of instruction, exhortation, I want to make a word of application first to our students, and then I want to make an application to our congregation. Now, I'm not the Apostle Paul, so I don't speak with apostolic authority here, uh, but I do hope uh, that you'll listen to what I have to say. And uh, students, first of all, I want to just co-sign what Caleb said a moment ago, um, and that is to find a solid, vibrant, Bible-believing church and get connected. You know, I... Um, was a college student or a college uh, minister back in an era where at a Christian college, a lot of kids went to, went to church on Sunday and we would have like um, parents weekend, you know, and there would be these students I'd never seen in my life. And they would come up to me with their parents and they would say, yes, I just wanted you to meet my parents, you know? And I always wanted to say, and you are, uh, but, uh, but I never did. But, uh, but um, I know, I mean, I know, I know what it's like to kind of be off and kind of be free and all that kind of stuff. But, but I just really want to encourage you to find your place, to find your people. If you're staying here, uh, man, stay connected with us. We, we need you. And if not, find a local church and introduce yourself. Um, don't depend upon a mission trip in June of 2023 to keep your heart warm in January of 2024. Find God's people. You need people praying for you and with you. You need people to love you and people to love. So stick to God's people. And then if I might offer a word to the whole congregation and perhaps especially to you who are joining us online. 
Church, I think um, our online service, three years old this spring, is just one of the greatest technological innovations in our church over the last few years. I think it's amazing that we can be on vacation or homesick or caring for sick children or caring for sick parents and somehow still stay connected to our local church body. We can keep consistent with the sermon series and, and we can be equipped to discuss them in, in grow groups and that's a good and beautiful thing. And we know that many of you have serious health struggles and uh, this is really the only way that you can connect with us. And uh, we know some of you have moved away and uh, you've yet to find that local church we were talking about and this is kind of your, you still feel vitally connected here and so please hear me unequivocally, I praise God for the uh, online services that we have and the quality of the online services that we have. But I also feel like I need to say to all of us that the online service was never intended to be a substitute for healthy, able-bodied people to fellowship with the body of Christ. In, during the worst days of COVID, we had to have that. Um, but I would love to invite many, many able-bodied folks who live nearby to come back and join us uh, in this room. We need you. We need your warm affection. We need your prayers. We need your voices to mingle with our voices as we sing. We need your hands on our shoulders as we kneel and pray at the altar. You know, you can see us, kind of, but we can't see you, and, and we want to see you. Thanks for letting me share that on my way out. What are you, are you going to fire me? Is that what you're going to do? <laughs> come on, come on, VRBC, come on. No, really, thank you, thank you. One of the key messages in the driveway is, is stick together. Stick with one another. Be the people of God. And I know my time's starting to get away from me. And Laura, we can just turn that clock off if we want. Uh, but the, I have a little clock here, but I'm not looking at it. But um, um, time's getting away, but I dare not uh, neglect these final words. And that is to trust in God's grace. Trust in God's grace. Paul typically would dictate his letters to an assistant. It's called an amanuensis, if you want to impress your friends, amanuensis. And, and so the amanuensis would write most of the letter, but typically at the end of the letter, Paul would kind of grab the pen, and he would write out the closing words by hand. And we're not exactly sure when Paul grabbed the pen, but we can be pretty confident that Paul hand wrote verse 28, the last verse of the letter. And verse 28 says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You know, in a secular letter in the ancient world, you would usually sign off with the word eroso, which simply meant farewell. But Paul doesn't sign off with farewell. Paul signs off with grace. John Stott says grace was practically Paul's signature. Grace was Paul's hello Grace was Paul's goodbye. How many letters of Paul do you read? And it says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we get to the end and there's more grace. Why grace? I think it's because grace is at the heart of Paul's testimony. Paul would never get over grace. Some of us view grace like a student loan that we needed back in the day, but we've been paying off ever since. 
Paul says, no, no, you never pay off grace. You always live in grace. Paul wants you to know it was grace that saved his life on a Damascus road. It was grace that opened the blind eyes of his heart. It was grace that led him through many dangers, toils, and snares on his missionary journeys. And no doubt, in the closing breaths of his life, Paul knew that it would be grace that had brought him safe thus far and grace that would lead him home. And I want you to know, church, as we navigate the driveway moments, the people who trust Christ assure one another that we will never outrun God's grace. Students, there's a better than 50-50 chance that this next year, at some point, you will disappoint yourself. You'll let yourself down, or a professor down, or your parents down. But as we part in the driveway, we want you to know that the grace of Jesus doesn't come with a deductible and the grace of Jesus doesn't come with a cap. His grace will be there every step of the way for you. And church, as you and I prepare for our driveway moment, I pray that you'll take verse 28 to heart. May this verse be how we remember one another. I'll remember you as a church who took a chance on a first-time senior pastor. What were you thinking? Uh, I'll remember you as a church who has been consistently very patient and gracious with me. I'll remember you as the church that helped us raise and launch our children. And I hope as you remember me, I hope above all you'll remember grace there's been any consistent theme to my preaching, I pray it has been the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is all grace. (laughs) Whatever hand the devil plays, grace is the trump card. It's all grace. And his grace is amazing. And so now, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen.